Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Mentally Unscripted, your number one podcast to find the signal and the noise. This is Paul, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, the intelligent, the amazing Scott. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm good. Just uh, ready to defend the Enlightenment against the growing army of non-thinkers and useful idiots. So let's get <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's, let's get into the... Uh, the defense mode. We're at war here, and uh, this episode is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about conspiracy theories, and I think 2020, with COVID and its origins, is is a perfect time to be talking about conspiracy theories. So uh, we're we're going to see where this goes. Maybe this will become um, an episode in the in the hallmark of conspiracy theories. I I would I would love for us to be part of the the legion of people that provide clarity. Uh, so I want to start with a uh, a definition I picked up off the internet. Very, very simple. But um, first, it's conspiracy. Conspiracy. An agreement to perform together an illegal, wrongful, or subversive act. Now, you can contrast that with the definition for conspiracy theory, which is a theory seeking to explain a disputed case or matter as a plot by a secret group or alliance rather than an individual or isolated act. So it's, you know, the, the, the idea of a conspiracy is just a group of people acting together. So bank robbers, I suppose, could be a conspiracy. Uh, whereas the conspiracy theory is trying to make an explanation, I, I think in, in common language or, or thought, it's more of an explanation for some grand approach by elites to conspire against, uh, against people and usually involves the government. So, Scott, what do you think about those definitions? Yeah, I think they're pretty good. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that when we talk about conspiracy theories, we're not just talking about uh, illegal conspiracy theories like like the bank uh, bank robbery example that you mentioned, but any conspiracy that's, that sees powerful people um, seeking to enrich themselves at the expense of uh, just society in general. Mm-hmm. And... One thing when I was looking through the definitions that that came up that I thought was pretty good was uh, the idea that it's it becomes a conspiracy theory when it starts to deviate from the accepted narrative accepted narrative from mm-hmm. some authority. Right. And for me, like the big question came in is like, well, who's that authority? And, <laughs> yes. We know how you feel about authority, Scott. Right. Right. So. <laughs> so this leads me to the to this notion of if the authority is saying this is the accepted narrative but we don't really trust that authority and there's evidence of this other narrative then you get labeled a conspiracy theorist while the authority gets trusted but it you know it could be flipped around right the authority could be the ones who are actually part of the conspiracy and you're actually looking at the evidence and poking the holes in the accepted narrative. And then that's where things really get kind of crazy. Uh, is yes. when, when you're, when the authority who is giving you the narrative is suspected of being part of the conspiracy or being misled by the, mm-hmm. by the conspiracy uh, propagators, perpetrators. That's right. Yeah. And that's, that is a difficulty in modern times, right? Because uh, there's, there's so much to discuss about conspiracy theories. There's, there is the, uh, the benefit of more information in the digital age where we can pump out information, uh, things like WikiLeaks, which start to expose what's behind the curtain 
and you get you actually see into um, how powerful institutions or powerful businesses and corporations operate. Um, so we have a larger flow of information. At the same time, we have this. We have a lot of, of, of noise that's also going to be coming out. People that maybe without any information are starting to theorize how the um, the events could occur together and how these different groups of people can operate. Then you have this idea of if you're if you're not one of those people that's constantly seeking information, you're just trying to interpret what information comes to you. How do you interpret these these grand narratives um, that are either coming from you know the the institutions or the powerful or the people that are that are coming back and saying no, it actually is a group of people trying to do do us harm in different ways, right? So there's a lot of different aspects to it, really, and uh, part of it, as you pointed out, the, the idea of the authority, and, and, and obviously right now what we're seeing is the the battle between sort of the uh, the swell of information and, and being able to take that and crystallize it into truth, uh, which you could argue is sort of the um, the nets of the, the the networks of the internet of people, and then you have what is is very common now that we see popping up on Twitter and on Facebook, where they call fact checkers, uh, who are believed to be an authority. Right, fact checkers in quotes, authorities in quotes there. Um, yes, yeah, you, if you can't see me, I'm putting everything in air quotes because, uh, I, okay, so I, I want to I back up a little bit here and, and get a little bit into our, our history here. So, Scott, what was the first time that you read something that was a, a conspiracy that you, uh, you thought, wow, you know, maybe this is true, and then maybe years later you kind of came back and thought, okay, that was just a conspiracy theory? Oh wow, that's um, that's a good question. I don't know that I've ever thought about it really. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've I've always tended to be very um, discriminating in the theories that I believe. Uh, so. I don't know that there's ever been anything, well, I'm sure there has been, I just can't think of anything right off the top of my head where uh, there wasn't a lot of evidence to back it up sure. uh, that I started to believe and then later found out to be wrong. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like things like the Kennedy assassination, like most people, I think that was the first thing, uh, first yeah, conspiracy theory that I really paid any attention to. And to date, I don't know that anything that has come out has really made me change my mind that yep. the government was somehow involved in that. Now, there's been changes to like who was possibly involved and how much and the uh, impetus behind it. Um, but nothing, nothing's really changed my opinion that, that the government was in some way involved and that there was some motive to uh, assassinate John F. Kennedy um, by the powers that be just because of things that he was doing that they did not agree with. Right. Um, you know, Watergate was another one, but I think by the time I got exposed to Watergate, that had pretty much all been outed, mm-hmm. um, except for the identity of Deep Throat. Right. So, I don't know. Let me think on that a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. do, do, you, do you have one? Well, well, what, what came to mind when I was, I was thinking about the question in my head was reading the book Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and I, I don't remember the name of the author, but he claims that he was hired by, um, I believe it was, it was a consulting company that worked for the IMF, 
or the World Bank or different types of uh, financial institutions which were tasked with loaning money to um, governments for, for large construction or infrastructure projects. And his claim was that he was hired uh, to make the economics look like they could be paid back by the countries and, and to um, then make a loan to the countries that they never could pay back. And then the uh, United States would then extract power uh, or concessions from those, those uh, countries uh, so that it, so that they could get votes, let's say, in the United Nations Council, or if they were looking for, let's say, you know, they wanted to build a military base near someplace in Indonesia or even on, you know, in Indonesia, they would they would press on them uh, because they had a debt, right? And uh, that that was reading that I, I thought to myself, wow, this this is crazy. And of course, this was uh, this was two thousand and four, I believe, and. The war in Iraq had just begun, and uh, I, I want to say 2003, maybe 2002, uh, and probably 2002, and because uh, it was shortly after 9/11. Um, but because of that, you had all this information that was starting to come out about what the CIA did and didn't know about nuclear arms in um, uh, in in Iraq, and how. That misinformation was was coming out, and it, you, it was a time in which the idea that our institutions were doing grave harm to the world in a calculated way seemed very plausible to me. So when I read this, I thought to myself, "Well, this this seems reasonable." And then, of course, since then, he's been critiqued by many who say, "No, this is this is entirely fabricated. The US, United States government doesn't do this." But there's substantial evidence that many governments do. And, and to think that the United States government and its foreign policy would somehow hi- hold itself to a higher standard than, let's say, the CCP, which is doing this exactly right now with their, their Belt and Road initiative, where they are going out and, and lending money and then taking concessions um, once these governments can't pay the money back. It seems sort of, um, well, it seems more plausible. And so it, to me, it kind of, that was the first time I remember listening to a, to a conspiracy theory, and I, I'm like you though. I, I I find that a lot of these claims just can't be backed up. So it's it's almost you. Sometimes you wonder: Is it just a version of the truth? Is there something more realistic that's happening that maybe is is less evil or intention? And it is you know going back to this idea of assumes um, stupidity or ignorance rather than than be, someone being evil. That that's quite possible, but these these events are happening and you know there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there that have some truth in them that still needs to be reconciled right um to to the point about kennedy was was it a master plot by a a group of conspirators within the government to get them out well it didn't have to be a master plot it could have been a small group of people that saw him as a threat to the security of the country or at least to the, um, I want to say the, um, uh, to their department even, right? So, yeah, so that, that would probably be my first, the first time that I, I really think about conspiracies. I'm not even sure if I thought when I, you know, when I th- first heard Kennedy, which I'm sure was when I was a younger, younger child, if I thought to myself, well, that's not true, or, or I just always had in the back of my mind, well, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know, 
they don't know who killed him, right? Right. Um, well, what about what about today's conspiracies? What are the ones that you kind of you're hearing about? You're thinking to yourself, okay, what's what's the truth here? Okay. Well, if you don't mind, let me just back up. As you were talking, there was there is one conspiracy theory that I did think of that I have mm. kind of backed off on a lot, and that is the Illuminati. Um, mm. I, for some reason, you know, the idea of these grand, you know, global spanning conspiracies. Um, are really interesting to me. So when I first started hearing about the Illuminati, I thought that's that's absolutely possible that this is going on. Uh, but as I've read more about it and learned more about it, um, I, I'm less convinced that there mm-hmm. is anything like that. Um, and one of the reasons is just the size of the conspiracy and how many people would have to know about it and, uh, and how long that it's gone on. Uh, it just seems that there would be much more concrete evidence available to support it uh, at this point than what we have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to like what you were saying is when we have to keep in mind that the number of people involved who would have to keep the secret is a huge factor in yeah. identifying um, the probability that a conspiracy theory is real. And let's and remember the thing is is the point we're at now we've kind of slipped into this sort of binary thinking where things are either true or they're not true, but it would serve you better to engage in more probabilistic thinking. Mm-hmm. So you could say, well, what's what's the probability that's true? Um, is this theory is it possible? First, is it possible? Then is it plausible? And then kind of go look at the evidence and say, okay, now what, what what's the possibility that it's true? One, um, mm-hmm. so you asked about current conspiracy theories. So the flat earthers, um, this one, yeah, uh, this one just blows my mind because so many people would have to be in on the conspiracy that there there would be a deathbed confession somewhere. <laughs> Someone right. saying, yeah, you know, some airline pilot saying, yeah, the, the earth is really flat and we all, you know, every airline pilot in the world and I guess, um, you know, uh, sea sh- or, uh, ship captains and, and people from NASA and meteorologists and <laughs> I mean, yeah. geologists, I mean, all these people would have to be keeping this secret. Um, so that, yeah, that's one modern one that I... I did a little bit of reading on and, and I purposely right. didn't go too far into it because I just kept shaking my head in disbelief that that uh, people would believe this and, and, and keep pushing this theory out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, a, it's a perplexing one to me when you can do simple tests, uh, scientific tests of, you know, putting... Uh, uh, putting a, a stake in the ground and watching a sundial, right? Kind of where, where the light goes around, and you, yeah. you, you can uh, do do those types of measurements and, and realize that yes, that technology wasn't available thousands of years ago. That understanding wasn't, so people just believed that uh, this was possible that it was flat, and then 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 they came to realize no, that that seems to conflict with what we were able to measure. So, so there, there is a difference, right, between the conspiracies of great measure. Which you know something I would go, that would conflict with basically testable science and ones that are just social uh, what I would call you know at, at a sociological level or society level where there's a power structure and there's a governance right uh, but I, but I like what you said I, I think that's no matter what the what the claim is the conspiracy thinking about the probability 
the likelihood. Probabilistic thinking really, I mean, if you go to someone and say, okay, is it possible that there's a group of, you know, eight men, including Colonel Sanders, um, <laughs> I'm thinking back to uh, how I married an axe murderer, but um, who are controlling the entire world and no one, no one, you know, they pull the, the purse strings and no one else knows about it. It's possible. What's the likelihood? One percent, two percent, fifty percent, ninety percent. Are you really going to claim ninety percent? Um, and then to your point, I mean, can everyone keep a secret on it? How 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 come we wouldn't know more about it? I mean, especially in the information age, these people's like itineraries, WikiLeaks would be able to find out about it. Um, so just that that is that is a really good defense mechanism when someone is is telling you something to believe, or even when you're 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 parsing through information, is to to ask that question. Exactly, um, and you know that like the belief that the media is in on it. You know, so again, I mean, how many people are there in the media uh, right. that would have to keep this secret? Um, so even if, uh, like we've seen, uh, the media was pretty good at burying the Hunter Biden laptop story, uh, but it still got out. People still heard about it, mm-hmm. even though that it was quickly, you know, it was quickly labeled as Russian disinformation and and a conspiracy theory, right? It still got out there pretty quickly. Um, right. And there was, you know, you can dispute the evidence, but there, there was the laptop, there were the emails. I mean, there was some physical evidence. Uh, whereas something like the flat earth, I mean, from what I could tell, it was a lot of conjecture and the, what evidence they had was, was pretty, pretty flimsy as yeah. to, uh, to support the conspiracy theory. Right. But I, I like one thing that you said, though, earlier, if you wouldn't mind circling back, is even if a conspiracy theory is batshit crazy, um, there could still be some value in it because mm-hmm. there could be some there could be some veins of truth in it. Um, so, like, I don't necessarily believe that there is this all powerful organization of, of elites who are pulling the strings of the world constantly to shape history. I do believe that it, it's very plausible and possible that when, when things happen in history, there are really very rich, powerful people who can come together for a short period and uh, take advantage of the situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think COVID's a good one. Um, I don't think that anyone released COVID on purpose, uh, you know, for the uh, intention of sending bailout money to banks and uh, uh, travel airlines and things like that. But what I do think is that when people saw an opportunity, they came together and they took it. Right. So uh, what do you think about that? No, I, I, the, the old, uh, I mean, I heard it from Rahm Emanuel. I'm sure he heard it from someone else. Like never, never squander a good crisis. Uh, The idea that you have to be able to respond. You have, you have this list of ideas that you want to implement and crisis is a time in which you theoretically have a common enemy, and th- through that enemy, where you can point the energy, you can ask for concessions from everyone who's following, listening, and they will be more receptive. So, you, you know, you think about um, COVID nineteen and, and March and April and May. What were people willing to do to fight this unknown virus? And there were still debates then, right? But there were there was people were much more receptive at that time to this idea that we had to lock down. Uh, it was the right approach. 
now what you're seeing is we have protests in, in different parts of the world. Uh, you have people in restaurants saying we, we've done enough. Even though if you look at the, the numbers, if you, if you ask someone to, to contrast the numbers of, of cases with the approach that's being taken by, by governors or, or by state leaders, with, are they making that kind of analysis? The answer is probably not. They're listening to a leader say, here's an enemy. We have to go after it. Here's what I'm asking you to sacrifice. And they're saying, well, no, the enemy isn't quite what you said it is anymore. So it loses steam. So I think it's, I think it's very likely that your leadership, the people that are able to make these decisions, are, are calculating that into their assessment of what they're going to be asking people to do. And, and we talked about this on a separate episode about this idea of grand narratives and when you're asking people to make changes, psychologically, you're able to extract more when people can have that common enemy. When it's diffused, it doesn't feel like, it, well, it feels like less of a threat. Therefore, why are you asking me to make a sacrifice? A kind of wartime versus peacetime thinking. So I, I do think that there is truth in, in I mean, I, I think you have to be aware of that factor when, when you know, today is a great example. I mean, is, is what's being done in, let's say, a place like California with Gavin Newsom's lockdowns, is it a conspiracy to destroy the uh, small business and it's so that someone can come in and, and buy up all the real estate cheap and then sell it back? I mean, I saw yesterday or sometime in the last week where a company was coming out offering to buy people's homes for, from them and allow them to rent from them. Basically, people that are underwater on their mortgages. Now, is that a conspiracy? Was was you know Trump or or these other leaders thinking, oh, it'd be great if we could just rent out? You know, we could only have a few landowners throughout all of California, and we could just rent everybody. So let's just lock everybody down. I don't think so. I think that's again going back to prob- probability. Newsom isn't going to have a state to run if there's no economy, right? I think it's more likely that he is saying, well, we have to make these drastic measures in order to, um, to, to bring down the caseload so our hospitals aren't overwhelmed. And we can fix this other, you know, the businesses later. We'll, fix, we'll figure out a way. And maybe because Biden is coming into office, and he's, he's thought about this from a calculus perspective of where the trajectory is going, Biden is going to have even more power to provide relief to these businesses. So I'm going to sacrifice the businesses today with this belief that I can, I can repair them tomorrow. And, you know, he's, he's got a business. He's part of a business uh, with, with the Plump Jack group. Um, I've, I've been to Plump Jack many times in Tahoe. Great restaurant. Um, and so it, in his mind, he's like, well, this is how I'm going to run my business without necessarily thinking about other people. Right? Not, not to go on a tangent there, but it, I think there's other ways in which you could see the decision-making playing out. What, what do you think about that? Okay. Well, first off, I, I just developed a new conspiracy theory that you, okay. are, <laughs> you, you are secretly a communist because you're supporting Gavin Newsom's business. There we go. Yeah. There we go. There we <laughs> so, go. Well, I, I'm out of the open now. I, I think that is the clearest conspiracy, and it's, it's absolutely true. Yeah, I, I'll be taking to Twitter as soon as this podcast is over with. Please uh, do. No, I think, I think you nailed it, and you, you alluded to Hanlon's razor earlier in the podcast where you, you don't attribute to malice something that can be explained by incompetence or uh, in this case I think ego uh, ego and incompetence I guess mm-hmm. um, I, so the Gavin Newsom example I think he mistakenly believes uh, 
uh, a lot of things that there, there just doesn't there's a lot of disputed evidence over let's just say mm, that yes yes and, there is. Um, and then ego comes in to where he thinks he's he's got the plan to fix it mm-hmm. and so you know so how much that's a conspiracy theory and how much that's just poor management I mean I don't know um, yeah and and like we're labeling a lot of things conspiracy theories these days um, and kind of going back to one of my original points is like it, it's it's become a pejorative so it's an yeah. easy way to stop a discussion by just saying rather than discuss something on the merits you just say well that's a conspiracy theory and mm-hmm. it, it, you just you stop the discussion right there and I think some people they do that intentionally and others mm-hmm. Um, they they don't quite understand what they're doing, um, but when you when you do that, uh, you cut off the conversation. Uh, you don't allow views, uh, opposing viewpoints uh, into the narrative, and then uh, it, it then the the mainstream narrative just keeps getting propagated. Mm-hmm. And uh, one article that you that uh, we read for this podcast is about the illusory truth effect. Mm-hmm. on Farnham Street and the more you cut off the opposing viewpoints and just keep keep repeating the accepted narrative the more people will come to believe it even if you're when you think of probabilistic thinking even if you're you know on that scale you're like oh this is maybe 10% true 10% chance of it's true the more you hear it that number will inch up right you know so you know, eventually well, you could become 50% true or 50% possible that it's true. And there's well, yeah. and there's really no additional evidence. You just keep hearing it over and over again. Right. Well, and this, this really speaks to, I, I think probably, we, I would imagine we've had similar interactions with family and friends, uh, strangers that we know on the internet, maybe on Twitter or, or other social media networks, where, to your point, that, that idea that I can shut down the conversation because I consider it a conspiracy and it is a pejorative, it, it implies that there it's, it's associating ignorance with, um, with your viewpoint. And the scary aspect of that thinking is that you then allow black and white viewpoints or views on people. Um, and so, it, it, it is. It's it's a it's a multifaceted challenge, and you. I think you you did a, you pointed out the real ask, the, the real challenge of it that if people are going to shut down the conversation because they say, well, it's a conspiracy. Let's let's take Dominion Systems being hacked in this last election. You you could uh, you could ask the question, right? Okay, well, is it possible that these systems could be hacked? Well, that's actually a hundred percent. There's a there's a likelihood or there's a, there's an opportunity for them to be hacked because we have evidence over decades now of these systems being hacked and we just in this last week saw that our our, our federal government was hacked at the, in the largest hack ever so to to think that somehow this system is is unhackable you have to admit well there's a hundred percent chance that it could be hacked now you have to ask the question what's the likelihood that it was hacked across all states. Uh, and maybe you don't need to look at all states. You look at specific areas, and then you have to ask for the evidence, right? And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying whether or not 
I'm not making a decision at all on whether or not um, what happened on, uh, in this last election was determined by, by fraudulent voting at all. I'm more saying, are you, are you going to allow for a conversation about it, right? Or are you just going to assume that if someone raises that question, that you're just going to be dismissive of them? And what I see happening is a movement towards that. And what I see happening in this country is, is going to be, it, it feels like it's, it's the same meme of I believe in science, that it that it all these ideas that I'm part of a tribe that won't believe in what you're saying and I'm going to label you ignorant because you believe in these conspiracy theories without actually ever addressing the truth kernel that actually exists in these theories. So in all of these the the not all of them but a set of conspiracies. So from Epstein to QAnon to um. You know, I, I, the one I mentioned before, sort of this this idea that governments are are giving out these loans so they can control uh, foreign governments. There's always some aspects of truth that exist, and that allows it to be the kernel, which is then going to sprout all of the tentacles that can go in different directions and lead people to these these various theories. Right, their their mind is filling in the gap there. Um, and to your point, if they're hearing it multiple times and they're building it up, then that truth, just by pure frequency of having it, or that, that uh, the, the truth becomes more relevant, the, the unsubstantiated truths, because you've heard them, sound more truthful and honest, and you start to build on that, right? And so by not at least addressing the truthful point, right, you, you end up, again, shutting down conversation and creating an anxiety in the people that see the... the see the theory as having merit so it's it, it is really problematic um and I, I yeah i don't know have you actually seen in practice people shutting down is it mostly on the internet or are we creating a, a mountain out of a molehill because it's just people fighting on twitter versus the you know the real life i think that could be uh, for me my experience is yeah, a lot of it's on social media, and then it's also on like the cable news programs. Um, mm. Two areas where we just need to accept that there's there's a heavy degree of bias there. Yeah, and and this kind of brings me to my my next thought, and, and to kind of it kind of feels like we're jumping around a lot, but to come back to authority yeah. for a second, the authority that you're listening to really matters. And this could be a source of disagreement. So when it comes to like the Dominion voting systems, on one side, you've got pundits on CNN or whatever saying, no, they weren't hacked. It's impossible to be hacked. Then you've got someone who is a computer science professor saying, no, it's absolutely possible that this was hacked. You've, then you have a security researcher saying, well, here's some evidence to show that it was hacked. So who's the authority that you're going to buy into there? Mm-hmm. And like in this case, there's not really been a an accepted authority that has spoken on the uh, on the question of whether it was hacked or not. So we don't really have anything to go on. So a lot of the argument just comes in as like who who are you going to believe? Which side? And this is what people when you mentioned the you know science is real, people forget is that even in science, right? There are disagreements. I just yeah. did a, a, a couple days ago, I just did a quick search on theories of the origin of the universe. And 
most of us laymen like me, like we think it's, you know, we know it's not definitively proven, but pretty well accepted that the Big Bang Theory explains the origins of the universe. And that's actually not true. There's like eight different theories out there. The Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. just happens to be the one that's the most um, the most popular and the one that's repeated the most. Again, frequency, right? Right. And... You know, and that you know that's a big thing. Like, and it's something we may never know. But the, my point is, is like even in science, right? There are people who can disagree, right? Mm-hmm. You've got Fauci saying one thing about the lockdowns, and then you have someone like Scott Atlas who is just as well credentialed and an authority saying something different, right? And a lot of times, who we believe to go back to our tribalism discussion is just which team are you on? Mm-hmm. And so maybe you need to step back from that. And again, look at the look at it on the probability and plausibility scale, right? Is this mm-hmm. is what they're saying batshit crazy, or is this something that is possible? Yeah. And you know, so what what do we do here? Like, how do we define the authority, the authority that we're supposed to listen to? And and this is kind of one of the things that made it hard for me to wrap my mind around these conspiracy theories as I was researching this is, is again, like when there's authorities who disagree, right, there's always going to be one side calling the other side conspiracy theorists. So at yeah. what point does conspiracy theory just, when does it just become an empty term and it loses all of its power? Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like it's like uh, when it, when it's used, um, the prevalence of oxygen that's everyone around or, or you hear other terms that have been thrown out so frequently that had a, a very high value when they were used uh, singularly so calling someone a Nazi post World War II was only done in extreme cases now it's used frequently as a meme it, it doesn't have the same cachet and I, I heard Brett Weinstein years ago in a conversation talking about the term racism or racist used as a way to identify someone who is who's committing heinous racist acts well as the frequency goes up its value has gone down right it's an inverse relationship where now every you can hear it used daily uh, from different different pundits or maybe people you know that's a racist action and and it feels as though well then then what's the point right what's the point of calling everything racist if, if every single opinion is going to be labeled a conspiracy theory at, at a certain scale well then it's not the the pejorative value of it is going to decrease with time right because then I'm just going to feel like you're going to discount everything I say <laughs> so either I won't engage or this term is just gonna it's gonna move to the to the waste bin right it will be less niche and it will be over overused but its value will have gone down um, at, at least that's that's sort of the 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 what I expect to happen in in, in the coming years if it's used as the growing pejorative right I feel like it used to be a term that could be used between people to say well that's just that's kind of a crackpot tin tinfoil hat term don't, don't put a lot of stock in it. But to your point, it's transitioned more into, well, if you believe in these theories, what does that say about you, right? What, what does it say about your tribe, uh, which, is, which is problematic? But let, let, if, I, if I can, um, I wanted to pivot a little bit, because um, to your point, we, we've jumped around a little bit here, but what are your thoughts on why these are so 
prevalent today and why people find them so alluring today? I think there's two reasons. One is, uh, you alluded to it earlier, is it gives people a sense of comfort that the bad aspects of their lives are not their fault. It's mm-hmm. easier, you know, if you, you're not where you're at economically, uh, or you're not where you thought you would be at economically, it's easier to blame, you know, some, some huge cabal of, of elite corporatists and politicians who are holding you back. Um, you know, you have, you have a, a store, a small little mom and pop shop that's not doing that well, right? It's easy to blame, um, Walmart and Amazon conspiring to uh, push the COVID panic and hysteria to keep your shop closed down so they can just run all the the middle class uh, shop owners out of business. Uh Um, So there's a lot of appeal there and and I totally get it, right? It's, it's, (laughs) it feels good to kind of shirk your own personal responsibility every once in a while and to just say like I, I tried and you know forces are conspiring against me and I, I can't succeed mm-hmm. the other thing um, I've got a, a, a blog post that I'm working on about pattern recognition and just briefly pattern recognition is humans were really good at recognizing patterns and it's what enables us to communicate because we can recognize language um audible patterns. It enables us to read because we can recognize the patterns of the letters on the page. And it's also, it's a survival technique. So when you're out hunting for berries and you see an animal, you're able to recognize that animal as a predator or an animal that you could potentially kill and eat. Mm. But sometimes our pattern recognition goes too far and we have what they call false pattern recognition. And that's when you start to see patterns that don't really exist. Um, So when you're looking at the clouds and you see a cloud that looks like a duck, right? You're not actually looking at a duck, but Mm -hmm. the pattern matching mechanism in your brain is recognizing that as something that looks like a duck. Right. And most of the time it can be kind of fun, right? You know, looking up at the clouds with your kids or whatever and and talking about what you see in the clouds. Um, But it can also be negative. Like sure. one, one, one negative is they call it gambler's fallacy, and that's where gamblers think that they're starting to see patterns in the roll of the dice or the spinning mm-hmm. of a roulette wheel, and then they start making bets based on that, and you can see that pretty quickly that can go bad. But we do that, yes. but it leads to conspiracy theories too because you start to see patterns that don't really exist in the behaviors of people. Um, so, you know, just hypothetically... Uh, or what was Pizzagate? Like it was a pedophilia ring being run out of a pizza parlor. And yes. then, you know, so you start to see all these politicians talking about this pizza parlor and saying that they like pizza and all this stuff. And then you start building that pattern in your head. Right. And then you start to hear them say things that, well, if you interpret them a certain way, maybe they're talking about pizza. <laughs> Slippery slope. And, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it just starts to build. Right. Um, right. So, and to me, that was really interesting because that's not something that you're consciously doing. Right. Right. The first examples that I mentioned about blaming others and kind of shirking personal responsibility, right? That's something that's obvious, right? That's something you're kind of deciding to do. But false pattern recognition, you don't really know it. You don't notice it. 
And so right. it's, it's happening sort of in your subconscious. So sure. you, you may be building these conspiracy theories in your head and not even be aware of it. Right. Yeah, that, I think those are two very good explanations for why now. And you know, I'd, I'd probably layer on another level there where if our information systems are overloading the mind uh, with information. So you think about the illusory truth effect where it's all, it's all about frequency and not about accuracy. Then you're, you're being hit by different, uh, different angles of the same untruth uh, or plausible untruth or truth. It, it really, it really depends. Uh, and that's reinforcing that pattern recognition, right? Um, where you think you've seen something and now you're, because you're bombarded with that information, it can allow this to, um, to hit home more quickly, right? You don't have to wait another four weeks to see that cloud in the sky. That's a duck, right? right. Um, you can, you can have a hundred, hundred times in one day be hit by the information. And then of course, because of the way that we're networked, that information is able to share, be shared more quickly. Obviously, um, the cost of sharing that information is relatively low. Uh, at some point, it was gossip, and you you have, you know, when the telephone comes out, and you have people on the phone telling each other, "Well, have you heard about this?" Or maybe once once a week, they're able, or once a month, they're able to get together at a, a bar and talk about what they're seeing. And now, today, on you know, it's 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 Friday. Well, I've, I've shared that information. On Monday, I'll have more information. Maybe over the weekend, I, I'm able to share even more information. So, there's there's aspects of our modern life that actually I think contribute to it being more prevalent today uh, combine that with the access to information I think uh, and, and they talked about in that same article from um, Farnham Street this idea of information pollution uh, where you're just you're just putting all of this information that hasn't doesn't provide context it mis, uh, misrepresents information um, it can be a, perhaps a parody like the Babylon Bee. Uh, fact checking isn't included, and so you're you may be unaware of the pollution, right? If you you have a site, you you've built trust with to your point uh, an authority. You go to that authority; they're providing information. You can't verify independently if if it's pollution or if it's clean clean data. And so that, that compounds this issue, right? The fact that there's so much noise pollution out there, information pollution. So I, I think all of those factors kind of come together. And of course, I think the most critical one, in my view, is a sense of pain of explaining what you're going through today, right? The, I, I think as you become more emotional, Relative, if, if you know, let's just take you're you're a, a shop owner in any part of the country right now, and you've been shut down several times. You're on your last leg, and you don't know what how you're going to exist over the next month. Are are you going to be rational and say, well, no, this was this was done for the good of my community, but I'm I'm just going to be the the cost of it. Um, or are you going to, is your mind going to start racing into these different realms where you're trying to explain the evilness, the, the, the incentives or the, uh, the intent, right, of the people behind it? They actually wanted to come for you. It's, it's like they're walking in the front door and laughing at you while they shut it down. 
uh, I think it's easy to do that when you're in that pain is, is to assume the, the intention of, of the other person. So I, I, yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. I think the, um, the growing social acceptance of being a victim is, is leading, Mm. is definitely contributing to it. Um, one thing I was just kind of reading through my notes here as you were talking, uh, one thing that I found really interesting is the idea of type one and type two errors. Mm-hmm. So a type one error is what we refer to as a false positive. And that's when you believe something is true when it's not. Uh, a type two error is a false negative is that you believe something's not true when it is. And to kind of go back to my false pattern recognition or my pattern recognition example in the terms of survivability, um, like evolutionarily, the cost of making a type two error were, it was often death, whereas the cost of making a type one error was maybe just looking foolish. Um, so here's mm-hmm. an example, right? You're, you're out hunting berries again, and you, you hear it r- rustling in the weeds. So the type one error would be that you attribute that wrestling to a predator and you, you know, you run away. So you're right. So the people who are predisposed to making that type one error are going to be more likely to survive. Um, even though, you know, it was just the wind wrestling the weeds and it wasn't, you know, a saber toothed tiger stalking you. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone who makes a type two error will hear that wrestling and they may think that it's, oh, it's just the wind when the reality is it's a saber toothed tiger stalking them. So in that case, you know, the, the people who are genetically predisposed to the type two error are going to become dinner and that that trait is just going to kind of get selected out of the population. Right. So what that does and so over time you know if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective what that does is that builds up the propensity of people to make false positives to see these patterns and assume they're real or that the pattern it really exists when it really doesn't mm. and then to what you were saying like the comfort uh the uh, you see this false pattern you think it's real and then you you then parlay that into the comfort of blaming someone else for your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality, you know, maybe it, if you had saved money, then your shop or your restaurant could have survived um, the, the lockdowns. Uh, mm-hmm. But you don't want to accept that because of poor decisions that you made, you are now in a position where you have to close down the business that you spent 20 years building. Right. Yeah. Does that, what, what does that, does that, does that give you any, does that sound plausible to you? Yeah, I think, I think it does. Even the concept of false positive and false negative is so powerful for people to to understand. I, I don't hear it a lot in people's language and I'm not sure that they think about it in those terms. You know, how many times did you say something, um, you know, you, you, made, you made a reading or uh, a decision and then it, uh, based on these facts and, you know, you read it wrong, right? Um, and I, I, I learned that from my career when we were using that to study uh, security protocols for, for systems and we were identifying uh, what we call false positives, you know, using these, this term to understand how they were uh, 
whether or not our, our readings were, were accurate. Were we downplaying the risk, essentially, um, uh, or were, were we increasing it, right? So I, I do think that if, if people are able to ask that question with the information that they're receiving, then they, you know, just the question, is this a false positive or a false negative? Then they are going to be better equipped to have an immunity to just being swept up in a narrative and a, and a conspiracy theory narrative. So, um, no, I, I think that's, that's possible. And actually, I think this, that's a good kind of segue into how do we think about defending ourselves from conspiracy theories? Because there is a cost to, to following them and believing in them. I think it can be an emotional cost if you see it and it, it, it destroys your hope or your sense that things can change and improve. Um, or it can be much further than that. There can be a, a human cost. There can be money cost. If, let's say someone's saying, well, here's, here's how you know, we can solve this great conspiracy. Come, come give me $100 and I can do it for you and I'm going to infiltrate the government. Well, there's a monetary cost to that. And, and, and that's because you're believing in something that, that hasn't been proven out. It, it's simply a theory and there is no fact. So let's, let's talk about, if we can, a couple of ways in which you think people can defend themselves against falling into the trap of believing conspiracy theories that are just unfounded. Yeah, for me, the, kind of going back to your point about information pollution, the first question is, does it matter? Um, yeah. <laughs> like, how much would my life change if this were true or not true? Uh, right. Like, you know, if the earth is really flat, what's that, what's that going to do? <laughs> I mean, is that going to really change your life? Uh, I mean, you might have to go buy a new globe. I guess it wouldn't technically be a globe anymore. It'd be something else. But, you know, other than that. I hate buying globes. I just, yeah. I just go. <laughs> I know. I'd have to throw out all my globes. My globe oh, my, my globe room. I'd have to shut yeah. down my globe yeah. room. <laughs> so, um, so ask yourself that. And, and I get that sometimes conspiracy theories can be fun and they can be entertainment. Absolutely. So uh, if you're, if you're, you know, reading the Da Vinci Code or, or watching a movie or, um, you know, you're reading um, what I think is the probably the best conspiracy theory based both the Illuminatus trilogy. I mean, it, it, understand that they're, they're just there for entertainment and that don't let them start, you know, coloring your worldview uh, mm. about what's true and what's not. Um, what, do, you, do you have one there to throw in there, Paul? Yeah, I, you know, a couple of thoughts kind of come to mind, and, and I, I like the concept of defaults. Like, you have defaults on your phone, right? What, what's the default setting that you should take when you're hearing information? So you, you hear about this new theory. I think, I think one of them is, and we've talked about all these different mental models, which I think are all powerful, and maybe they should all just be a checklist that you're thinking about in your head. I think first is, is this idea, Hanlon, is it Hanlon Razor? <laughs> if I'm getting that, pronouncing that correctly. Um, Hanlon's Razor. Hanlon's razor that assume incompetence before you assume any kind of evil intention. Uh, so I, I think that that starts to take a little bit of the air out sometimes, especially when someone's saying, well, it's a conspiracy that, that people just want to cause everybody harm and subjugate them. Well, realize that it could just be people that don't know what they're doing. I think to your point, understanding your information sources and, and, Maybe governing that and, and asking yourself, do I really want to be receiving information on a consistent basis? Because I know that I can start believing um, through the illusory truth effect, I can start believing something that isn't true just because I've heard it so many times. Um, 
I think then probabilistic thinking, ask yourself, okay, you know, I've heard this many times. It does seem like reasonable and, you know, we don't, we're, we're being lied to. It seems to go against the facts. Well, then ask yourself, probabilistically, what, what's the likelihood of this actually happening, right? Go through those different questions. Is it is it 2%? Is it 90%, right? If someone came out today and said, the mRNA vaccine that we're going to be producing is also that there's a microchip in there and therefore you're going to be tracked for the rest of your life. Well, is that, is, is it, is it possible that someone through a liquid substance could put in a, 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 a microchip? How would that microchip get power? You can ask these questions. Doesn't mean that again, there may be, there may be a kernel of truth. Maybe the mRNA has a biomarker and so it's not a microchip, but it's some other way uh, that your body would excrete some kind of signal that could be tracked. That's possible, right? But then you can ask yourself if that, what that possibility looks like. I think those kinds of defaults of asking yourself where the information's coming from, uh, assuming better intentions and just incompetence, uh, understanding false positives and false negatives and how you're interpreting the information. And then to your point, really, is this pure entertainment value or is there an actual cost associated with it? Do you actually, do you have to go out there and, and change your livelihood or do, can you just be entertained? I'll be honest, I watched David Eichmann, who's a conspiracy theorist, I think from England, he did a five-hour show, I think, at Wimble, uh, is it Wimbledon, uh, Wembley Hall, or I, I, I'm sure I'm getting the name wrong, in, in England. And I could not believe it, the stamina of this man to stand up for five hours and talk. And he weaves this amazing tapestry of ideas and connects every single wrong in the world back to the, these ideas. And of course, again, the, this kernel of truth exists, this, this seed that he's able to plant, which, which is true, right? Um, but then of course he's able to fill in gaps with these, with these unsubstantiated ideas. And it is, to me, it was very entertaining, very entertaining. I didn't walk away from that conversation thinking to myself, well, now I've learned a truth about the world. Now it's possible that all my default settings are set to not believe this. Right. And, and I think that in general, there are certain conspiracies. There's things that are not called conspiracies that I consider conspiracies. Um, so I want to get to those next, but maybe before we do that, uh, do, do you think that that checklist is is a good one? Do you think there's other models that people should be considering? Yeah, I think that's a good one. And to add on to your probabilistic thinking um, is the idea of Bayesian updating. So as you take in new information, mm -hmm. update your probabilities. Um, yeah. You know, be willing to do that. And that means information that you find comforting and you agree with, as well as information that uh, goes against what your your predisposition or your beliefs are. Mm -hmm. um, and constantly um, just, just be aware, right, that as we discover new information, things are going to change. And, you know, this goes back to, like, the disagreements in science, right? So the people are constantly researching, uncovering new evidence, and updating theories. Some are getting thrown out. Some that were discredited are coming back based on new evidence. Mm -hmm. Another thing, um, kind of keeping with the science theme, is falsifiability. Ask yeah. yourself what evidence you would need to see. If you believe a conspiracy theory, ask yourself what evidence would somebody have to show me to make me not believe this? Mm -hmm. And and based on that, if 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 the theory that you believe is not falsifiable, like if there's no evidence they could show you that would make you believe it, it it's probably not 
it's probably not worth paying a lot of attention to because yeah. you're you're never going to get that negative. Uh, you're, the negative is never going to be proven. Right. And uh, I, I, I love that. I, I think that is so powerful as a concept, and I'm glad you brought that up because I maybe move that up to the very top of the right. default list, honestly. Right. And, and the example I was thinking is, let's go back to the flat earthers. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Every bit of evidence that they get shown that would falsify their their belief they explain away as well you know again all the airline pilots are in on it nasa everyone in nasa is in on it you yeah. know and so they're they're really stretching to um to get rid of that falsifiability aspect yeah. of it even though there's a ton i mean we have pictures of the earth from outer space um so and this kind of takes me back to authority too right so if if your answer to everything is well the authorities are in on it the government is in on it the people who are making the decisions are in on it the media is in on it that might be but you don't have any other evidence to falsify or you don't have any other way of explaining away the falsifying evidence then yeah mm-hmm. maybe maybe it's not worth paying much attention to outside of entertainment right. value outside of entertainment absolutely no I, I think I think those are if you take that collection, I think you, you, you build a very strong defense mechanism, almost a, almost an antibody against bad information, you know, malware that can build up in your mind that creates these ideas that, that are just, um, to your point, unfalsifiable, but you want to believe in them for some other reason. They, they, they provide some kind of satisfaction. Um, and that, that really is the danger that we're talking about here, right? It's not, this, it's not the entertainment value that uh, which which does have a cost that's you know the the idea that someone could be scrolling through twitter every day and facebook every day for for hours looking for evidence that that's time that could be spent doing something more productive so there there is a cost just for having this information out there um but in general i i wouldn't say it, it, it it's either entertaining or that person probably needs to you know figure out some other life goals right if they're if they're using this um, as a, as a way to kind of make meaning in their life, but uh, those are the costs. I mean, that are I'm, I'm not as scared about. I'm, I'm more concerned when the cost comes down to physical harm. I mean, we we heard about the people I think earlier this year or maybe last year that went out to area. They were going to storm Area 51 in New Mexico uh, to to get to the truth of the aliens, and these are guarded military installations, right? These people can get killed. For, for doing this kind of activity. You have people, again, the, 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 the example I gave, someone says, listen, you know, we're, we're running against the, the pedophiles in the government. Give me $1,000, I can guarantee I can get rid of these people. Well, it's not as if pedophilia doesn't exist. We, we know that exists. It's not as if some of these politicians um, are, are not pedophiles. They are, uh, and other types of criminals. But the idea that there's a cabal that you can isolate and then you're going to be able to to get rid of that, you should be very wary of that for all the reasons that we just described. And so, you know, it's 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 having that that ability to kind of push back on that bad information, especially when it has a high cost to you or people you love and care for. Right. Yeah, we've seen some some violent episodes recently that were um, where conspiracy theories were. An impetus behind mm-hmm. the violence. Um, 
Absolutely. The, the other thing too is just the the divisiveness that it can cause. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. you know, if if you supported Hillary in 2016 and you just don't understand how she could have lost to Trump, so that leads you to believe that the Russian conspiracy theory mm-hmm. is true, um, then despite evidence that it's not, or despite them not finding any hard evidence that it was, I guess we should say, again, falsifiability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that causes you to get into fights with family members and become estranged from your parents or your neighbors or whatever, right? Ask yourself if it's really worth it. Right. Yeah. I, and and my, my position principle would be it's not worth it. Uh, at the end of the day, your relationships are going to be more impactful. It's, it, it is interesting to see interactions between people, uh, someone's, someone claiming, you know, Russiagate as an example and someone's saying, to, to your point, no, it, it didn't happen that way or provide the evidence. But there's mental anguish that goes through it. And again, it's this idea of, of believability that you're, you're solving for something that you just don't want to be true. Right. This this idea and, and, and the, the concept that there's some truths that are in your mind right now and there's other truths that are in, in your subconscious that are not being accessed that are probably untrue. But when you when you put something into in your active mind and you're going through it to believe that something may be untrue is it, it goes against the consistency principle that Caldini talks about this idea that we want to be consistent. It has a, has a high social value. and People see us as consistent and following through. It's difficult for us to change our mind. I mean, in a lot of ways, Bayesian thinking, scientific falsibility is, is very anti-human on how we've evolved as creatures. It goes against our natural instincts and our intuitions. Um, sort of that system one, system two thinking, we have, to, we have to break out of the pattern of the system one to force the system two, and it's very uncomfortable. And uh, at, at the end of the day, we have to realize that that's, the influences by our external factors are playing into our body and our physiology and how we interact with others, and it's it's you can you can build up your own your own conspiracies in your head almost, or these 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 false beliefs in your head, saying things like, "Well, I've got more information. These people are all in on it because they they just don't care about people." You start to believe all these other ideas in your mind, uh, which which again I, I just don't think is healthy. If if, if someone's going to ask me my opinion, um, and I'm obviously no guru. I'm not telling people how to live, but uh, when I see people that are happy, they don't usually have those kinds of conversations and that's not the hill that they're dying on right yeah sometimes ignorance really is bliss yes yes well so i i think maybe this is an interesting point unless scott there's something else you wanted to talk about i wanted to pivot a little bit to non what what it, what i think are i could consider a conspiracy but they're not labeled conspiracies oh, okay uh what is not a conspiracy that is maybe labeled a conspiracy well, I think going I, back, I was going to point out an example, but if you've got one in your man, I'd love to hear your thoughts. No, go ahead and point one out. So, I have um, I've read a lot uh, in the last year and a half, two years, about the United States government's interactions with the CCP, and what you see is that at every branch of the government there is a mindset, and that part of this is is foreign policy. Right, where you had leaders who said that the best way to engage with a, a government that is authoritarian, that is communist, is to give them the fruits of capitalism. And at some point that will just 
water down their desire to stay communist to the degree that they will become uh, they will become a democracy, right? And they're going to embrace the um, they're going to embrace the ideals that we have around freedom of speech, uh, freedom to defend yourself, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and this this is this is the the thinking of our uh, what I would say is our political elite. And so there's that that's been widespread throughout um, any engagement that we have at any branch of the military, or sorry, not the military, but the the government with a place like the CCP. And so what, what's happened there is that they end up making concessions to that government. And uh, you know, the, the simple one I'll, I'll give is that they don't hold Chinese companies that want to get listed on our stock exchanges do not have to go through the same auditing uh, through a, a big four auditor as any other company, literally any other company. If you want to get listed, you have to have audited statements. Those statements are, are trusted to be uh, and it's going to be by one of the big four companies, which have their own issues, but there's there's a standard there that's accepted. Well, you give this concession. And and when you start to see how many concessions are being made across the board, you realize that our government has basically bent over backwards to create, um, the, to, to follow this, this concept, right? Without looking at the cost to its own citizens. Right, the fact that factories close down when jobs are shipped to to other countries, uh, not because they just have a cost comparative advantage, but because they're actually being subsidized by a totalitarian government, which actually isn't isn't at all a free market. Right, I, that that's a lot of exposition to say. It looks a lot like you could say that the the federal government is selling us out uh, to another country based on this ideal. Or based on just the fact that a lot of people are getting rich. Now, is that a conspiracy? Or is that just a set of incentives that are creating a bad environment? I, I, I don't know. If, if I tell you that's a conspiracy that our government is, is for 30 years has been selling us out to China because they, they want to create a global democracy, does that sound like a conspiracy or is that just a, a truth that's accepted? Um, so this this is where kind of the malleability of the definition comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the, the definition of conspiracy theory that I was going off of, again, you have to have a, an accepted authority sort of mm. ruling on it, saying that X is true. And then it, the conspiracy theory is that no, X is not true. Y is true. Um, so what you're saying based on that definition I'd say it's not a conspiracy theory okay um, but I could see on a uh, on a broader definition of conspiracy theory if you kind of get rid of the idea of the authority having ruled on it then yeah it would definitely fall into the definition of conspiracy theory I think um, because it's a theory of the existence of a conspiracy of powerful people like using the system to, to benefit themselves mm-hmm Um, And one interesting thing, too, is like the the definition of conspiracy theory that I I was going off of also pointed out that the conspiracy has to it has to be to the detriment of society. A conspiracy mm -hmm. to benefit society um, is that they were not considering it. This author is not considering it a conspiracy theory, which so in your 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 case, like 
I could definitely see, well, on the one hand, yes, these politicians and business folks are doing this to enrich themselves, and they don't care if they're selling the, the U.S. out to the Chinese. But on the other hand, you know, you mentioned that their the reasoning behind it was to, to benefit the Chinese people by bringing them freedom and liberty and democracy. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, I, I think it depends on, on which way you go there. Right. And, and, and that's a fascinating point. And I, I think it's going to become even more relevant in the coming years as conspiracy theory, if it continues to be used as a pejorative to just dismiss concerns, then you are going to have to be able to distinguish between the conspiracy, which is just the road to, uh, which, which is just pure malice versus the one in which is the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. Uh, this idea that we're going to be able to solve these complexities and these problems of authoritarian governments and there's a cost to our people, but it's worth paying because we're freeing the world. And then then as a citizen, I, I sort of look around and I think, well, what is that cost? At what point is it no longer relevant? Right. How are we actually calculating that and when you look at poverty in inner cities and you look at. Um, issues of, of not having funding for education, et cetera, et cetera. You, you start to think to yourself that the people that are in charge are minimizing the harm that they're that they're doing um, at the expense of maximizing, uh, and on the other side, maximizing the benefit that they think they're going to get. And so it is. It's a defense that you have to be able to, to fight back on it. And, uh, and I, I think your point is well made that I guess if we're going to put the definition around a conspiracy theory, there has to be a harm element where they actually want to harm people specifically, you know, and I suppose that's a distinction, but they, they, they rise to the same level of impact. And that's, I guess that's the, the, the problem with them, right? When I specifically think about our engagement with the CCP, the impact across our economy and our society is, is extensive. And if I look at if I extrapolate that out to other countries around the world, it's the same. So, you know, I, I have the saying that the biggest conspiracy are the ones that everyone sees and they don't talk about. Um, and until recently, I guess the CCP in my mind was there. So, right, yeah. Um, as you were talking, it, it, the illusion of control came up mm-hmm. in my head. I think we talked about it briefly on one of the other podcasts, but that's uh, as people, we have a predisposition to want to act. So yeah. when we see something that we think is broken, we tend to think we can fix it and that we have to fix it. Um, so I could see in this case, you have uh, the United States government or folks in the United States looking over at China saying, that, you know, this is terrible. These people are being oppressed. We need to fix this. So they, they spring into action and, the thing about illusion of control is that we act even when we prefer to act even when we make the situation worse than we would have had we not acted. Um, so th- that could be at play here too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, and, and again, I mean, what I'm describing very much feels like it aligns to this idea of incompetence versus you know being evil. The the cost of uh, putting the cost out onto to the American citizens when they lose their jobs, as an example, you, I mean, that could just be incompetence because you're not, you're not thinking through second order impacts, right? Um, so, 
you, you have to you have to kind of put that in in the back of your mind, especially particularly with with politicians and, and political structures, um, knowing that there's there's other tensions at play than often what we see. This isn't to give them a free pass by any stretch. I think if you're if you've listened to a few of our episodes, I think neither one of us is willing to do that. Um, that these people should be held accountable for for their decisions and their impacts because ultimately that's that's the position that they're in and that's what they decided to sign up for. Right. So, and I think just one last thing that we haven't really brought this up, but this this idea of labels. Whether we define this as a, what you were talking about as a conspiracy theory or not, whether we apply that label to it, right? It's it's still something to be concerned about. Whether it meets mm-hmm. the technical definition of conspiracy theory, um, so just you know, keep that in mind. How we label things tends to drive how we respond to them. But if yeah. we can start thinking of things kind of without the labels and just looking at the elements of them and the mm-hmm. possible harm, then. Uh, then maybe we can start getting a little more realistic view of varying situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Scott, we're, we're over an hour at this point, and uh, I think we've talked about a couple of conspiracies, why we think that they're coming about more right now, and, and sort of how to do defend your mind against them, um, and the fact that we may have to get rid of our globes uh, based on the flat earthers, uh, <laughs> which is a real shame, but... Is there, is there anything else you think that people should be thinking about when it comes to, I, I, you just mentioned labels. Is there anything else you think we, we should have talked about? No. Um, you know, I'm going to start putting together my Paul say secretly a communist uh, uh, conspiracy, getting that out there. Uh, Absolutely, so we should. That, but, <laughs> no, I think, we, I think we covered everything. I mean, this is a topic we could probably talk about for four or five hours. So yeah. I think we kind of hit the surface. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been, I'm going to include a, a list of resources in the show notes to the podcast on our website, uh, which is mentallyinscripted.com. And if you folks want to learn a little bit more about them and kind of look at the sources that we were looking at, definitely check that out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and please, if you're listening to this and you're enjoying it, I know we're just getting started. We'd love for you to like and subscribe, tell others about the conversations and leave some notes. Tell us uh, what we're not thinking about or what we should be thinking about when it comes to conspiracy theories or maybe other conspiracy theories you'd love to hear us talk about and kind of dissect and see where we fall on the realm of how possible it is and how unlikely is it. We, we, we can talk about what, uh, whatever our audience wants to, wants to listen to. So, Well, thanks, Scott. Thanks for the time. And uh, to all of you out there, be good. Have a good holiday season, uh, whatever you're celebrating this year. And uh, be safe. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.